Q Playback. Welcome back to Q Playback, the podcast looking at DIY and self-production recording, uh, songwriting, mixing, mastering uh, from the 90s through to today. Uh, today I am chatting with Steve Roach uh, and I've looked up um, you in Wikipedia, Steve, yes. and it says Stephen Roach, footballer. Stephen Hartley Roach, is that correct? That's correct. That is Hartley. correct. Uh, who played for Richmond, Collingwood and St Kilda. Um, now, how did you get from uh, Stephen Roach footballer to Stephen Roach musician? Very good question, Chris. <laughs> A very good question. Um, and I wonder that sometimes myself. But I, I, I've always been a lover and a collector of music. Um, when I was at high school, and, and I was at Richmond playing football when I was at high school, so um, I was one of those jock kids, you know, that uh, <laughs> at 17 was uh, bigger than everybody else. And, but so was, you were probably one of the kids that would have been beating up the kids like me at school, I reckon. Well, I, I, <laughs> I didn't beat up the kids, but that's, yes, yeah, so I, I understand what you're saying. But, uh, but I always watched this group of cool kids that went off to a little room they were allowed to go to with their musical instruments at lunchtime and practice and think they're doing something that's really cool. And I, I couldn't, my head was always around playing sports, so I never had, uh, and I just went into playing sport and, uh, you know, had a, a sort of a football career where I played uh, professional sport for a few years and uh, and then went into the business world and sort of had kept all my football connections and all that sort of thing. And, uh, um and I'd asked a couple of times through the years to people I knew who said they played guitar. I always wanted to play. Would you? Um, would you teach me? Or would you? Um, and then I, it wasn't until I was in my forties, and I said it to two people, uh, and they both said, "Okay, well, let's get a guitar and teach you." Then mm. you've asked before, yeah. and I've gone, "Oh, okay, then I'll I'll do that." So my cousin Adam, who you've met, yep. and. Uh, Chris Doc White, the same same thing, and Chris put me in his car, took me down to music stop, shop, and we bought a guitar. Nice. And uh, and between them uh, and uh, you know my fumbling fingers over the next few years, I just started uh, playing and learning a few licks. And Chris was a great blues player, and he taught me how to shortcut and make things sound <laughs> really cool, which was great. And uh, but what was that first guitar? Um. My first guitar, which I still have, is uh, it was a second-hand 1985 Takaman or Takaman. I never can say that word right. Mm. Um, grand concert. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I bought it second-hand at the Acoustic Centre down in yep. South Melbourne. And uh, um, but I, the guy in the Acoustic Centre said we were all conned because. Chris played the guitar, and whenever he played a guitar, it sounded brilliant. <laughs> and I said, "That sounds great." And so I decided to buy that guitar. So uh, it, it is a great guitar, and it's my wife. I said, "Whenever you pick pick up that guitar, you hug it." And I go, "I never even realised that I do that. I do that, and even though I've never, I've hardly played live with it. Um, it's just that guitar that I've done most of my writing on yeah, over the yeah. years. It's yeah." Yeah, and a lot of musicians do that. I mean, I, I have a guitar that, you know, like hasn't been gigged in. 15 years but sits in my lounge room because it's the writing guitar yeah because um, it's just easier to grab and get things going um now when we first met i'm guessing it was around 2007 yeah around about because yeah. it was very early days for me running the studio um and we didn't meet at a gig we uh, you didn't send me some flashy uh promo pack like artists did back then uh to try and get a recording um, do you want to tell people how we met? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, bear in mind that I had no idea how, how music worked and, uh, um, and I was just sort of one foot in front of the other. But my daughter came home and said, uh, uh, my daughter's a nurse, as you know, and, and uh, you, are, you are a nurse. And uh, my daughter came home from work one day and said, hey, a uh, friend of mine at work is... Uh, um, uh, leaving work and going to start a recording studio, mm. and uh, 
he said if you um, if you, I was telling him that you were playing music and you'd talked about wanting maybe wanting to record down the track and you'd written some songs and he said if you're interested uh, get in touch so mm. uh, she gave me your details and I think I rang you and uh, yeah. said hello and I had no idea at all what I was doing Chris no idea <laughs> at all and I'd been playing with some young blokes who had gone to school with my son uh, who, 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 although he'd had a few music lessons, he wasn't playing music either. He was playing sport, but a couple of his mates were really good musos, and uh, they'd agreed to. Uh, um, uh, maybe he threatened them, but they'd agreed to play with me, and we were, uh, <laughs> and we were having a bit of a hit. And there's a couple of blokes I'd bumped into here and there, but as it turned out, all of them turned out to be really good musos, and uh, so we started uh, just rehearsing in my garage, really, and. Uh, um, doing some stuff and I said then I said to them one day hey I've met this guy and he's got a recording studio out in Croydon and uh, which is just up the road from where we were and mm. uh, and do you want to record and they're all so nervous it was amazing and I was just yeah. going yeah well I'm yeah. pretty threatening in this well, <laughs> none of us had done it before uh, or maybe Chris had done some recording you know mm. and uh, um, one of the young guys Chris Lee who was uh, playing bass and uh um, trumpet, and trumpet French and guitar, horn, French horn. He yeah. played everything. Yeah. He's now he's playing with the MSO. You know, he's oh, wow. one of the best brass players in the country. Yeah. He gets he gets spots on the MSO all the time playing trom. Brilliant. You know, so he's he's just his music career has gone from spectacularly to tell you the truth. So uh, he's just renowned. I've spoke to some brass players from Queensland, and I'm diverging here and uh, I said oh, I know I've got a name Chris Lee and they go Chris Lee he's a great player and I go oh he played on my first record <laughs> <laughs> yeah so funny um, yeah and so first record uh, we've, we've done a couple of albums together so should we, is it about two and a half is that the best well, we, we, did, we did a demo that was a demo <laughs> yeah. and and what I was so wrapped about that demo I go back to that all the time and um it was actually the first person that drew me back to it was Marcy, Marcy Taylor, who, who said some of the versions you did on that that demo are the best versions you've done of the songs. <laughs> so I went back to them and listened to them and they weren't overproduced or, mm. I mean, and <clears throat> I mean, then other people have listened to my music and said, well, you can see a great progression mm. as you've gone through. But... Uh, but you know, we did 19 songs in that demo you know, in a day and a half or something. You yeah, know, we, something ridiculous. We, we really yeah. pushed it through, and and we'd never done it before. And I, I ended up having probably if, if I was trying to work out where I was going, not consciously because I didn't know what I was doing to tell you the truth. But um, it just really gave me a, a taste and, and a hunger to do that because mm. it was such a really good experience. And so for people that haven't heard your music before, we'll obviously put some in this episode, but um, what, how would you label it broadly? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. I've been, I've been... So originally people said it was bluesy rock and roll. We introduced Marcy on violin and people said it was sort of country blues or uh, some people said it was, um, uh, you know, country music. Uh, in uh, I was lucky enough to get uh, a record company in America release the stuff and they they put us in Americana. Yep. They said we're Americana, which is probably some, a place where I feel we fit fairly yeah. comfortably. I think because the songwriting largely leads the songs, it's probably closer to Americana. Yeah. It's storytelling really, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, and, and that's the thing. And um, and uh, what I, I've realised more recently, not that I knew about this particular genre, but I'd always loved the style of music as I listen to what gets labelled as what's called Southern Gothic, okay. which probably fits into that Americana. And that's people mm. like Lucinda Williams, Bobby Gentry, yeah. Lee Hazelwood. Um, but in some ways, Neil Young and Bob Dylan tap into that as well. Yeah. I mean, yep. you know, I'm not trying to put myself in that, but that's the style <laughs> of songwriting, isn't it? That's, that's storytelling and a little bit dark, mm. maybe a little bit redemptive. Uh, you know, so... Um, I know that at the time, uh, obviously we come from sort of different backgrounds and uh, I'm probably a bit more indie-focused, but we'd both uh, really loved Listen to Williams and Emmy Lou Harris. Yeah. Um, and I think you'd hear a bit of that in the music. Um, but... Um, Can I comment on that? It was interesting because yeah. you do have that indie background and, and that really interesting uh, and a different feel to what I've got in terms of how 
our music sounds when it comes when it's when it comes out when yeah. it's produced. Yeah. But certainly, we've done a few gigs together where we've alternated songs, and I've always been amazed at how well they sat together. Yeah, I, I think especially when I do solo shows, yeah, I think that works a lot better. Um, uh, but I have said this before that there's some songs that you've written that I couldn't do because I, I don't think I could deliver them with the same kind of pathos or I think you once described it uh, or someone described you as having a certain kind of grace in your delivery. Uh, so maybe I'm a little bit graceless, but... <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, but I think when there's good songs, you know, that's one of the things that can bind shows together. Um now refresh my memory about the whole American label thing because sure. um, well, I remember we, bits and pieces. Yeah, we did that. Um, so we did the demo and then we decided to do a better produced version of what, what... And I ended up with a different band. So I actually came to start playing live and organised some gigs and, uh, and had and we actually never had any trouble getting work, which was really good. But um, came to my first gig and... Uh, couple of the young blokes like Chris got had to go and play in Queensland and somebody had to go and do something else and mm. Matt my drummer had something else come up in his life and all of a sudden I had to find within a week find three players and so I tapped into some friends of mine um, who were closer to my age than their age and they came in and did a couple of practices and we went and played our first gig and um, the uh, um, and and so that sort of became, and also we had to come up with a name for a band. We came up with Lil Rain, and we'd done that. And I was a, um, uh, both a Rolling Stones and a, uh, um, a Jimmy Reed mm. fan. And uh, so Keith had said Lil Rain was the best blues song ever written. I think he was a bit over the top in saying that, but <laughs> I mean, and, and I, I thought it was a good name, so we went with Lil Rain. And uh, then these uh, guys, Terry and Steve, joined the band, and. Greg and his son, uh, Matt, was the drummer. And uh, so we had a five-piece. And then I I actually advertised. I wanted a violin player and they all said I was crazy. But uh, we'd had horns and I loved the horns. But mm. we uh, – I didn't really want to – I mean, I'd love to think I could have a horn section. But trying to – I was having trouble organising three or four blokes, let alone yeah. six or seven people. And, and well, Martin, yeah. On the horns, yeah. I remember – like I still remember um, – was it I Had a Dream? Yeah. Um, and mixing that and just being like, oh, God, I love this. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just come over so well. And then every time I hear one of those songs by intermittently on a listen to William albums, you'll hear a song with horns, and I go, oh, I did that on that song, you yeah. know, and it sounded yeah. so good. And um, and also on a version of the Listen to William cover Pineola, oh, that's right. Yep. Uh, we had horns on that. That was only on the demo. We didn't put the horns on anything later than mm. than that. But in any case, um, so th these guys come in and, and the sound tightened up enormously. Very, uh, but it was good and bad in that. The sound tightened up and we became a really good working band. But we probably lacked the looseness that I really loved yeah, as yeah. a as a band, yeah. you know. So anyway, we recorded the album and uh, we're really pleased. I was really pleased with the way the album came up, and uh, I didn't know what to do with it. So I just put some songs out there on a couple of uh, platforms, and uh, I got an email from the states, and a guy um, had uh, a guy said uh, sent me an email saying, "Hey, where I heard your songs online." I'm interested in talking to you about joining our label. And I thought it was a prank. I yeah, just thought some yeah. one of my mates stooging me or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a guy named Stephen Wrench, as it turned out, his name was, who's a, a well-known producer. I'd produced Leonard Skinner and mm. uh, um, Rick Springfield and a number of others. And uh, so then he tried again and I ignored him and then he tried a third time <laughs> and I thought maybe – he probably thought this is the last time. And I emailed him back and I said, I know this is a – um, a joke, but whatever. He goes, no, 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 I'm Stephen Wrench. I'm based in Jacksonville, Florida. You know, new people that had been in, um, like, uh, the Muscle Shoals thing mm, and all that. Yep. You know, he's yep. he's an older guy than me, so he's quite old. No, I'm sorry, Stephen. <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but he's older than me. So uh, More experienced. More experienced than me, yeah. yeah. So we said, um, we exchanged emails and he agreed to release the album. Mm. So uh, we did all that and uh, 
it ended up going fairly well in the states and uh, um, didn't yeah and got when I say fairly well I thought it had done fairly well you know I think there's sort of 20,000 odd unit sales or something like which is obviously in America is next to nothing but for me who'd never done anything yeah. I've gone this is pretty spectacular we've got a lot of airplay on public radio in Australia mm. and uh, um, Gary Young said it was one of his favourite records of the year played something every week off it on, on through Triple R and that yeah. was really great and uh, it was really pleasing one day I got in my car and turned the started the car and the um, it was one of my songs was playing and I uh I thought, oh, I'll eject the CD. And I went to eject the CD and that's, oh, it's out. And it was on the radio. So it, that was a real shock for me. And so, Was yeah, one that, of your kids in the back of the car and like, nah, what's this shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, Actually, that, uh, on, on that, um, one of your kids did hear your music playing at work one day, didn't they? Oh, that was, that was a, a different story because it was actually my son-in-law's, my son-in-law's brother, believe it or not, who's a builder. Yeah. And... Um, he, by this stage, we had our second album out, mm. and uh, he was on site. And and so, in my house, I had a studio which is above my garage. We had a, there's a, a self-contained loft, and but then my my daughter and her husband moved back to save to buy a house. So they'd have people up there all the time, mm. and it had a separate entrance to the house. So that was cool. And I got chucked out of there into the garage below. <laughs> but every Friday night we'd practice and. Mm. Uh, so they knew all my songs off by heart because they were just under the floorboards and uh, <laughs> we were just under the floorboards. So um, his his brother, uh, Dom's brother Anthony, was at work on a building site in the city one day and uh, he hears my stuff coming out of this boombox, you yeah. know. <laughs> so he walks over to the guy and goes, uh, what do you got on there? He goes, oh, it's this... Uh, Guy out of America that I really like. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't know him. You wouldn't, uh, you would never heard of him. <laughs> it's uh, Steve Roach and Little Rain, and he's gone. Man, I know, I know that guy. And he starts telling him. He goes, oh, and he was he downloaded the stuff off Spotify, and yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, he um, and he said, oh, I'll get you a signed CD if you want. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you did it. So did it. A very funny story. I mean, you know, it's, have uh, you got your Spotify royalties for this year? Yet? Oh no, uh, yeah. Most of my stuff has been put on Spotify. Because um, so. I, I got, I, I did my check about a week ago. Yeah, and once again, about sixty bucks. Yeah, um, and I, I yeah, most of my stuff is on that. My, I'm really quite amazed because I look up a track on Spotify and find it on an album of, um, great country hits, great Americana hits, and I'm going, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> you know. But anyway, uh, no, I haven't got any. Uh, and I, well, it, strangely, in the states, my money goes to the record company, and they're supposed to right yeah, yep. to me, and they they said to me, oh look, when it reaches. A certain threshold. Amount give it to yeah. It'll never reach the threshold, I think. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, but so it was doing well in the States. Yeah. Um, now, was it the first or second album that we started looking at touring overseas? Second one, second because one. on the back of the first one, I happened to be going to America and I had American That's friends right. and yep. I played some gigs in um, Louisiana, um, uh, Mississippi, and uh, Tennessee, because mm. I had friends there, and when I say gigs, they were little little cafe bar yeah, type yeah. gigs, and everyone really liked the stuff, and really different audience, but uh, I think they like my Australian accent more than anything else, <laughs> and uh, and I'd never done anything like that, so I was really encouraged by the response I had to playing my original songs, and so I came back, and um, we had. I think at that point, just about finished the second album or finished the second album. And mm. the record company really liked it and they wanted to reproduce a couple of the songs. Now, you know, because of my artistic integrity, I'd refuse to let that <laughs> happen to a, a, No, 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 you can't do that to my songs. And so we, we actually let them uh, re uh, do a, a reproduction on one, uh, one of the, on two of the songs. But they actually, they wanted to do, um, I'm trying to remember which song, put the Hollywood strings. They wanted to put strings behind the acoustic uh, version we did of, um, oh. yeah, I'm trying to think now. Anyway, we said no. <laughs> and they had a producer in Hollywood who rang me and said, why don't you want to do this? And I go, oh, yeah, my artistic integrity and all that, which was nonsense, <laughs> you know. Anyway, so that was all okay. Yeah. 
And then Salvation got picked up by on the Christian radio in America and it went really, really well. So Salvation got, it looked like, and we released it as a single and it was going really well. But um, the problem I had is that on the album, the way we tracked the album, the song directly after, and this actually got me into a little bit of trouble, <laughs> after Salvation was Babel, and which everyone also thought was another Christian, was never, neither one was, look, Salvation, yeah, it's a gospel song, but it wasn't consciously about, you know, I make a reference to Jesus in there, it's in my songwriting, and it's got nothing to do with me trying to preach to people, it was just the way that I, mm. uh, that I talk, you know, and, and I wasn't, uh, you know, but I was really pleased that he got picked up, and I was really pleased that people liked it, and then with Babel, um, uh, which has uh, got a slightly different message, I actually drop an F-bomb in the song. Mm. And so the same people listen to those two songs in a row and have gone, no, oh, no, yeah, yeah. profanities, profanities. And I, uh, and so they said it was probably a mistake. They never thought about that happening. We probably should have done a version with a beeped out. Right. And, uh, but none of us saw that coming. And yeah. uh, so it was probably a lesson. But the other thing that happened is we got some really good write-ups um, in, in Europe. And, you know, the sliding doors and regrets, this is probably the one regret that I had, is that um, the reviews in Europe were great. A couple of uh, music magazines wrote us up and rang, rang me from there and interviewed. And um, They were talking about would we come over and tour and they got in touch with the people in America and they said they wanted us to tour. Mm. And um, we had to put some money up to tour and, uh, you know, I was talking to the people there in the band and it was I think we were going to have to front up five or six grand each or something to tour yeah, and yeah. the record company weren't guaranteeing the money but they said we're well, going to sell out um they were talking booking us into three four hundred people sort of club venues yeah, and yeah. They, they they'd done all the sums for us and said you're going to sell out because the popularity's there we're talking about Belgium northern France Germany Austria maybe Scotland. It's funny how it's all the upper, colder places, but, uh, you know, um, maybe into Scandinavia. And they were talking about, you know, 18, 19 gigs in 20 days or something like that and, mm. and just really making – and just to, on the back of all the airplay we were getting over there, BBC had picked it up. Um, they picked up Salvation, picked up When the Hammer Falls, picked up something else as well. I can't remember now, but they'd picked up a couple of tracks which I was amazed about, like, and, um, like, total plays from that album were, like, um, a line and were, like, a million plays or something mm. like that, which was, I, you know, I was, they were sending me all the stats and I was yeah, like, yeah, I'm going, yeah. how the hell does this happen? Yeah. You know, just to, and, um, and in the end I said, look, we can't do it. I haven't got, we just can't do it. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, I think my first... Uh, was it? I'm trying to think now, but no, whatever, hap whatever happened at the time, it was not timing wasn't right, and we and yeah. I just didn't, uh, we didn't do it. Now that was probably a mistake because on the back of that, I think I would have got the energy to to move on more. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky one, um, and I remember how close it was because um, that was actually when I'd started talking with um, Canadian musician and producer Jim Bryson yeah. about recording with him. Because the idea was that if I'm going to be overseas anyway, yeah, I may as well, you know, stop in there on the way back. Um, and so that, that, I mean, that was amazing for me because we still did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember how close it was to. Yeah, and I and I was, I, yeah, it was one of those things. And what I also found was that um, everyone else had their own things going on where they were because we uh, the sort of the first band when it's well, it was the second band really, but it went its own way. And the second band, the third the third version of Lil Rain was just a group of friends mm. who came together. We never gigged that much. The f other versions gigged heaps, but yeah, yeah. we never gigged, or I think we one or two, but we never gigged much. But I really loved the sound and it was really nice, warm feeling uh, when we played together. And uh, it was not quite a jam, but it was. it just had that feel and I really mm. loved it. Um, and then when, um, and so there probably wasn't that commitment 
amongst us to be a band. Certainly you and I were trying to do our music thing and, you know, Adam Roach, he was always going to be there to support me anyway, one way or mm. another, but he had his own things going on and his own band and all that sort of stuff and everyone had their life and we've gone, oh, you know, we're... So it, it sort of fluttered out, I suppose, and that's my fault because I never drove it hard enough and I should have. <laughs> and I keep saying if, uh, um, you know, if I'd have been, uh, if, you know, if I'd have been 22 instead of, you know, in my late 50s at that point probably, I, I probably would have driven it harder mm. but uh, or in my 50s, whatever I was then. But it's, um, uh, I, but... You know, it was just that time in in life, and uh, but it, it's probably the the biggest regret of all the music stuff. That was that was it. That we didn't mm. do that tour, yeah. Because you never know what might happen. Nothing yeah, might happen, yeah. but it might have been uh, might have kicked something off. So I, I now I remember when we were recording Salvation that um, I can't remember how many of us were in the studio um, when we were tracking it, but there was a moment when it just felt amazing, like everything was there, everything was happening. Um, I, yeah, because I'd, I had a certain thing in my head about Salvation and and I knew we had amazing musicians and when we were tracking it and we had the... Uh, and we were trying to track it to, um, to a beat... Yep, yeah, it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Yeah. The song was looser than that, mm. and it was more, um, yeah, it was it was different. And so what we did is we recorded it live with, just recorded the song. We'd been trying to lay the tracks, and it had never actually worked. It, mm. it sounded great, but and I, I felt the same on the previous album. I thought we should have, if I'd have known better, we should have done the same thing with Little Rain because the, the song Little Rain. Sounds enormous, but it's really honest to the beat. Yeah, and it, yeah. and I didn't feel that that's what blues is supposed to be. Mm. You know that it's particularly that it's not Delta blues, but it's it's got that feeling. You know, and it's yeah, got that a bit of um, push and pull. Push and pull, exactly. And and so with Salvation, we did it live, and it was magic. It just it just felt you could feel it. Thinking back, I'm pretty sure I was on drums for that one. You were. Yeah. So we had um, one of our mutual friends, Richard, on piano. Yeah. You would have been on the acoustic. Yeah. Who would have been on bass for? Bass was Mark, I think. Mark. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark yeah. Nolasco. Yeah, he was on bass. Yeah. And then um, we had uh, Adam on guitar and yeah. Marcy on fiddle. And uh, I'm just trying to remember who was in the room. And I'm not sure if the backing singers were in the room that day, but they might have come in the next day. Yeah, because yeah. when we realised we got the mix we want, we we said, uh, the backing vocals I've got in mind here, not the same as, but in the vein of Gimme Shelter, and they've got this look on their face like, what? 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 What's Gimme Shelter? <laughs> and I, I go, oh, my God. <laughs> so we, uh, I remember you in the studio plugged in, the stones and play Gimme Shelter <laughs> and then it worked. Yeah. They understood exactly what was required. Mm. And um, so and and we got it. And uh, those um, and then I had a I received a really great compliment. I was at where did I go? Somewhere um, with some music friends and they said, Oh, how's your recording going? And I said, Really good. I said, actually got a um, almost finished version of one of the songs here, Salvation, and I had it on a, I can't remember, MP3 or whatever it was. and Burnt CD probably. Burnt CD, burnt <laughs> CD, yeah. And I played it. And they go, did you record this in the States? They go, no. This is, it sounds like it's recorded in Memphis or somewhere like that. And I've gone, no, no, it was recorded in Croydon. Um, yeah. But uh, that being said, we got the feel we wanted. And so I was never really surprised... And, and the other thing, the tension that you managed to get right, I think, on this, we had some great players. I mean, Adam's a great guitar player and Marcy's a great fiddle player. There's no doubt about that. They yeah, are, yeah. They're both virtuosos. But the tension between them playing and jamming hard against each other in that song, 
and it almost feels like it's going to break down at some point mm. and then it just somehow survives and rolls into the next the next yeah. bit and I, it, it, I I really loved it and I, I'm I'm so proud to have written it but I'm so proud to have had so many great artists bring that song to life mm. and in in the way that it, I felt it should have been brought to life because it doesn't always happen and yep. and so that was that was really important and I I'm really glad you raised that song and 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 that because regardless of what how the song was accepted and it was accepted really well um the vision for the song was came out and and I thought that was really important yeah and that takes a lot of time and sometimes I, I think for you watching you go through the process of first recording and then working out what you do and don't like um and then being able to articulate more what you wanted um I mean that that's always made it a pleasure for us to work together. Yeah. Um, and I think also, uh, even though we're both musicians, we we don't have a lot of ego. We're very much dedicated to getting the best result out of uh, the song. Uh, and that means that you, you're ready to discard ideas if there's something better. Um, uh, so when I listen to some... I, I listened to one of those... I can't remember if it was the demo or the first album, um, Don't Ever Think of Me Again. That's still one of my favourites that we did. Um, off the first album, first track one, yep. album one, yeah, and uh, really impactful. And uh, and I listened to it the other day, actually, strangely, and uh, um, just because for my first album and the and, and it was we talked, I talked about Gary Young and who had a radio show on Triple R and you know was a co-writer on Eagle Rock, so I knew you had to give him some cred. So I, I say that to give myself a bit of a pat on the back. But he said he just loved that song. Mm. You know, he really liked Don't Ever yeah. Think of Me Again. And But the production on it was fantastic, Chris. So I think it was and, – and Terry's guitar playing on it and Marcy's fiddle playing on it were terrific too. So, uh, um, yeah, so it was good. Uh, now I have to bring up one story that I still relay to uh, people when they ask about um, what's the – the funniest or strangest moment you've had on stage. We were asked to play a benefit concert oh. <laughs> in Warburton for a, a small community uh, about an hour's drive out of out of Melbourne. And uh, so we'd done a few songs into the set and then someone gets up on stage and says, we've forgotten to do the chook raffle. Exactly right. Oh, I was, I I was both shocked and disappointed and still not surprised to tell you the truth. Yeah, I, I had a lot of connections in that Warburton community, yeah, and yeah. we uh, we'd done a lot of gigs up there, and uh, uh, they were very supportive of my music, and um, so I'd done a couple of um, community fundraisers for them up there. I did one, um, uh, I did one. Uh, for a family who'd come into some crisis uh, a year or two earlier at the same place at uh, mm. Wild Time. And um, but this one was particularly big. And, yeah. Uh, so we're on the back of a truck. Back of a truck. Freezing cold. The Yarra's behind us. Yep, the directly right behind us. Yep. Uh, babbling away behind us. Yep. And we've... Uh, I've had people come from all over the place, all over mm. Victoria, out to Warburton to, yep. to play a gig and they've told us that we're on a two o'clock or something like that. Yep. And we're... It's a small place with mainly community players yeah, and they had a couple yeah. and we were seen as the big band that we're going to play on the day. <laughs> so we are supposed to do a 45-minute set and um, but um, and and so now I'm starting to, you know, I'm certainly not Eddie Van Halen or, uh, you know, <laughs> so but we've, all the community players and the kids and that that were doing the dancing and everything, they all mm. went over time. So mm. all of a sudden the time's run out and, we, and it was... 3.30 or something and we <laughs> ha aren't on stage. So we end up getting on stage and the guy, I don't know if you remember, the sound man comes up to the front of the truck and goes, he's going, I'm, and I'm doing a, a sign here about a, a, a hand across my throat, like cut it, cut it, cut it. And I've gone, no, we've just come on stage. <laughs> he's gone, no, you've only got one more song. And I've gone, no, no. And so uh, I couldn't work out what was going on. And, so And then someone... Came up on stage, yeah. and I was like, "Oh no! Is, is there some kind of emergency? Does yeah. someone have to?" Is oh, we we forgot to we forgot to draw the raffle, 
Um, and we're running out of time. And we've gone, I've gone, oh, well, they're going to draw the raffle, then we'll get on with our, our set. Now, for people that um, aren't acquainted with the Australian tradition of a chook raffle or a, a meat tray raffle, it's pretty much like any other raffle, spin the, the balls and uh, draw out the numbers. But the prize is often a large collection of meat or a frozen chook. Or, yeah. Uh, but that particular day, I don't know if you remember, they had a myriad of prizes and kept drawing them out. Yep. And they just... And I thought the funniest thing was Adam playing like the Benny Hill theme in the background. And oh, like, I think yep. everybody... About, about two prizes in, I remember looking at Matt, the, the drummer, yeah. and we just sort of launched into a... And just kept jamming through quietly until they'd finished. <laughs> and and when we when we came through the end and uh, we finished, I went off stage and the organiser came up to me and goes, you were supposed to come off when he asked you to. And I said, I'm pretty <laughs> upset and embarrassed for my friends here. They've come all from a long way to play for you and you haven't done it. She goes, oh, you big-headed, big-time musos from Melbourne. And I've gone, oh, my God. That's the last thing we are. We've come yeah. out here to play a community event. We've donated and, our time. Yeah, and we're trying like, to support you. All we want to do is play a few <laughs> songs. And uh, and uh, and and what was really funny because that community had been so supportive. I'd probably played out at that venue ten or twelve times, mm. and and I loved playing there. And the community yeah. was so supportive, and they they and uh, and I've just gone, oh my god, this was this was crazy. <laughs> it's, and then you you can't really get upset. I was more embarrassed for. The people that had driven from the far north of Melbourne, you know, mm. right out a long way, and I think somebody came from Geelong, and and uh, to be at the to play the gig. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for, for someone like me, it's too ridiculous to be upset about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were we were having a laugh about it, but I'm like, yeah, but we all play all sorts of gigs of all different types, don't we? And yeah. uh, you know, we we know anything can go wrong, and and not that it went wrong, <laughs> but to lug all your gear, set everything up, yeah. and then play three songs or something, and. Uh, <laughs> And then go, and then spend 15, 20 minutes playing uh, the Benny Hill theme in the background to the <laughs> chook raffle being drawn. Is uh, and and then then go home. We've gone, uh, oh, you know. Anyway, so like, it was it was very funny. You're right. It was one of the funniest stories. Um, and yet, I have to say that community was so generous and so uh, so good to me. Um, I first met most of them because I went up there to an open mic night uh, mm. at the same venue. Yep. And that night, the venue owner offered me a gig and I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I did it and just from that, just work just flowed from it and I would play there semi-regularly, which I love. Now, when they asked me to play a couple of fundraisers, I was more than happy yeah, to, yeah. to give yep. something back. Um so it was it was good. And it's good to have a good story to tell, Chris. That's right, exactly. Um, yeah, and there's no ill will. I've, I've no, played no. up there a few times myself and yeah. go camping with the kids up there. Um, so I'll just jump in with a little bit of um, tech talk. Uh, so when we did the first album, I was in the first iteration of the studio and... Um, I had some some nice mics, um, but nothing super expensive, um, and just a lot of technique to work in the space that we're in. Uh, but by the time you're doing the second album, I'd upgraded most of the gear. Um, so it, if people want the tech specs, they can um, drop me a line or have a look on the, the website. Um, from your perspective as a performer, did you find that that changed the experience or was it really a very similar recording experience and just sounded better? <laughs> the experiences were different as we moved along. Mm. They certainly were more professional. Um, so from the demo, the, in your garage, mm. where your studio was, you know, that suited us for the demo, right? Yep. And I mean, I know it was the same situation with the our first album and it was it was just probably better laid out and and it was better and and that was mm. and that was really good um with the second one um I, I, people once I mentioned this before people said you can tell the progression in the albums you can hear the progression in the albums mm. um but also what it helped me do was find the sound that I was looking for better yeah, so yeah. it it I listened to what we did each time 
And I've gone, well, this is really, I really love what's happening here. And you were learning what I, I suppose from your perspective, what I should sound like and what I thought I should sound like too, mm. in terms of my music, not me personally. Uh, yep. It was about, because I'm just trying to find the song all the time. And, mm. um, you know, the, the, that's the interesting part and just trying to find, and and so, and, and what I've loved over the years is being able to rely on you to get that technical aspect right because I'm not the techo. Mm. And so yep. if I'm trying to find, the emotion of the song, which is where I'm, which is the direction I go, and whether that emotion is love, anger, disappointment, happiness, whatever it may be, and I'm finding that and trying to put, and I tend to try and put myself in that space, mm. and you're finding the technical space that that belongs in, that that how, what do I need to do to to get that. Helps Steve evoke that, I suppose, is where mm, is what yep. I felt, and, and the faith that I've had in you to do that has been really important for me. And the gap between, I mean, the fact that we half finished an album or didn't even quite half finish it, and I'm, I, I once again was only recently listening to the outtakes of that and going some really good stuff in there that needs to be finished, mm. and and the four tracks we did finish are really good. Mm. Um, and out of interest, I sent those to the States and um, those four tracks that we finished. The feedback I got from them was, this is a great new direction because it had a bit more of a Celtic feel, I suppose. Mm. We, yep. My songwriting had changed a little. Celtic is, is probably the wrong term, but it was a bit more folky than it was bluesy. Yeah. And, yep. um, but it still wasn't folk music. It was certainly uh, rock and roll or rock. But it was... Um, what had happened is that once again, with as I tweaked what I was writing, you were tweaking how it was produced. Now, they said they really liked the direction I was going, played the stuff to the people at Sony Music, and Sony wanted to release it worldwide. Can we get the album finished? Well, <laughs> then a few things went wrong. I had some health issues, COVID hit, blah, 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 yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, and everything. So it goes on the back burner. But what I've learned about Stephen, if I, I reckon if I went back to him, because I did this once before, and go, Stephen, you know, not, if you're still interested, and he goes, of course I'm interested. You know, I'm hoping that would still be the case. It may mm -hmm. not be. But, um, but you know, it's about putting myself back in that space where I'm ready to – I don't want to make the same mistakes again and not be ready to take the music forward. So if he says, hey, you need to go and – go to the UK and and go to here or go there or wherever mm. it is, and go, even if it's just me picking up my guitar and going, which is another thing that's changed. I never had the confidence to do that in the past, and now I have. And yep. uh, it's and it's not about being a good singer or a good guitarist because I'm neither of those things. It's about just having probably the confidence to project and project mm. the songs the way that I want to. Um and and probably have somebody who can play the guitar alongside me, so that they <laughs> so that they can cover all my mistakes. But yeah, um, so your writing technique, uh, from what I've seen, like largely you'll bring in pretty much finished songs. Um, some of the the chords or the instrumentation around the core idea might change, but most of the time you come in with with finished lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, most of my songwriting is lyric first. I mean, I've had a few songs where I've had very few. I mean, I, I've probably written 300 songs and, and when you bear in mind it's not a lifetime, it's been the later part of my life. Mm. Um, I've got bits of scraps of paper everywhere with I'm trying to consolidate it all. but And we've recorded either in part or incomplete maybe... 40 to 50 of those. Yeah. yeah. So that that many of them. So there's a lot. So I tend to write lyrics. I write a lot of poetry, mm -hmm. but sometimes I write and I go, that's not a poem, that's a song. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah. and. So um, your adaptation of Oscar Wilde was on the second album. Yeah. Uh, what was the title of that one again? Um, the, the Sins of the King's Daughter. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So from an Oscar Wilde poem called "The Bait of the King's Daughter," I think. Um, now, I, it was, I, and I read a lot of poetry. But I have read a lot of poetry over the years, and I was reading a collection of Oscar Wilde. I was actually in Bendigo going to a work appointment, and I was early, so I was sitting in a park in Bendigo, and I 
this book with me and I started reading it and I came up and I said, this poem is so powerful. And a lot of it was old English and I, or, so I transposed the language a little, but yeah. Do you think uh, Oscar Wilde was the first emo? Because everyone dies in this song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, it's just, but you know, it was really funny. I, I played a gig, oh, probably the, just before COVID, uh, at, out at Newport and there's a whole, you know, it was a nice little at the Newport Bowls Club and uh, um, so interestingly you get all the local western suburbs people want to come and see the gig but you also get a lot of the Bowls people in the place <laughs> and this lady came up to me and she knew something the crossover we never knew we needed yeah yeah <laughs> she goes do you know how many of your songs are about death <laughs> I go, she goes you sing about dead people all the time and I go she goes not that it's bad, love, but, you know. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. She goes, when you get to my age, I'm going, oh, my God. Like, uh, uh, but, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, I mean, I've mentioned it in another episode, but uh, once touring in Brisbane, someone um, stood up between songs and said, do you have any happy songs? <laughs> well, yeah. it's funny you say that because then when I was playing in America, there was a guy that I think he'd had too many drinks and I was playing, once again, playing through the set. and um, But I played Going to the Ocean, which mm. is... So about hope and resilience, I think, and about the so it's it, it's a song about the ocean, obviously, and about what the life it brings and the life it brings to me. And so this guy stood up in the audience and he goes, "Man, you're making me!" And he just started waving his arms, and going, "You make me feel like I'm in the middle of the Pacific." So I'm going, "Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> Give me some of what you're having." Yeah. But, uh, but you know, and it was really nice to get that reaction rather than the reaction of, uh, um, you know, cheer a lot of songs about death. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, look, I think when you're storytelling and when you, I mean, uh, my, um, you know, my Celtic. Um, Jewish Scandinavian background, uh, you know, there's a lot of mythology about death, mm. and I read mytho I read mythology, I read poetry. I mean, you know, so you've got you got love and you got death. You know, you mm. really have those things going on, and and so when I'm writing, um, you know, I don't know, it's just it's there's there's something going on and, and I, I tend something tends to trigger the writing in me so I don't sit down and go I need to write something something will trigger it and um, and it doesn't mean that I actually write about the trigger but it's there's something mm. you know you've probably been through this yourself and yep. something's triggered it and you end up and you go that reason wasn't what I finished with wasn't what I was thinking of when I started but it's it's taking me there your thought process has developed out of it and um, so I often finish something and then go and look at the meter and look at the, and hence why not a lot of my songs have got choruses. You know, mm, they're, yep. they're you know they're often just storytelling. And somebody said, "Oh, you sound like Paul Kelly, or you sound like, or your songwriting." You know, does that? It tells a story, and and, and every now and again, I'll go, "Oh, I, I need to find a, I need to find a hook out of all that if it's going to be a song and find a chorus. What mm. part of it works there?" So I don't rework a lot of songs, but I. I probably, tr I, I do realise that you, there, there are certain things you need. Not that I want them to be on, you know, Australia's Got Talent or whatever, any of those shows. <laughs> so, you know, there'd be a song that it, it'd be a, with a, 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 a link that people, that's going to catch people. I'm just trying to, uh, I really want to do what pleases myself, but I would like it if people like my songs. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a different world, isn't it? It's um, yeah. trying to, when people ask about what kind of music it is and, their main point of contact is something like Australia's Got Talent. Um, it's really hard to convey the grit or the depth, uh, and it's not just a you know. It makes you feel good singing about some girl or boy or whatever you've just met. That um, you know that there may be deeper things that can go into in life. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I actually wrote a song in two thousand and six, and I do remember this. I don't know if I've ever played it for you, but it's a song, song called Tommy. And um, it's about a boy that dies in a car accident and another song about death. But anyway, and it just popped in my head one day just and I just wrote it. And whenever whenever I play it, people I play it to say, 
oh, that's really lovely, but it's so sad. Mm. Every time I play it, I cry. Mm. I can't actually get through the song. And I go, I'm trying to, and the question I ask myself, what's that evoking all the time? Mm. Why Why did I do that? Why did, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I what? get to the last verse and I'm, sitting there with tears coming down my face yeah, and I'm so, going, you know. So what's that, lurking in the background for you? Yeah, that, that yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you need to go through that. And, yeah, and so it's really yeah. interesting. And so every now and again I, uh, I and, and my friend Jeremy, who I jam with a bit, uh, he said to me, uh, um, I said, we might try Tommy. He goes, you're going to cry? And I go, well, probably, <laughs> but, you know, I said so. But, uh, you know, and I don't know if people want to hear songs that are that sad, but, uh it, you know, it, it's just funny from my perspective because I question myself about what am I evoking when I, when I, for myself when mm. I'm playing that. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because, uh, and songwriting's like, like that a bit. And sometimes you, you set out and you think, oh, I've got this great idea. It turns out absolute crap. Yep. And, and then you go, well, out of something that is just so inconsequential. You end up with something that sounds really nice, and, mm. yeah. People like. I, I think, uh, for myself, um, m- maybe because it's having sat behind the desk for so many other people as well, um, I have a, a lot sort of keener sense of if an idea is worth following or not. Um, so you might like put down four lines, and it's like, well, you come back to it, and I haven't thought about that for, you know, two months. So how good can it be? Whereas other ideas sort of just stay there, keeps yeah. um, circling around. Um, so often uh, at the end of the podcast, we ask what, um, well, first of all, we normally ask what was your most desperate moment of innovation. We, we might have already gone through some of that for our uh, gig at Warburton. But do you remember other moments where you had to innovate on the fly, maybe to a live gig or... Yeah, a couple of times. I mentioned the gig before I did where the lady spoke to me about uh, the sad songs, Mm. the death songs. Is that that gig, and and, and this is giving something away and to young people, um, (laughs) get get over it. Uh, You know, I I got into music in my late 40s, so we... uh, And um, I've always had lyric sheets, Hmm. Some of my very favourite artists ever have lyric sheets. You just don't see them when you see yeah, them. Yeah, you know, and got the auto cue. Yeah, yeah, so I've just got them down low at you know, sort of knee height or something like that, where I can read them. And uh, um, although most of the time I don't need them, but you know, it's always nice to, from my point, it's a security point of view. Mm. I heard Lucinda Williams, as you know, is my very favourite uh, mm. songwriter ever. Um, and she's been announced a national treasure in America, and uh, so that I, I love that, and that she always has them. She said it's her security blanket. Mm, well, that's how yep. I see it too. So, anyway, I was playing this gig, and uh, I, for some reason, I'm playing a song on you really well, and I just had a blank spot for a moment. Yep. And I looked down, and I couldn't read. <laughs> I couldn't read it. And I was playing with. Uh, Jeremy and Beth, yep. and uh, <laughs> and so I took it round again. Yeah, and I couldn't read it. It's all blurred, oh, and I've no. gone. Uh, so I just uh, stopped. I said, "Stop!" Like this, <laughs> I put my hands in the air, and I go, "A couple of things you need to know about me." <laughs> I go, "Number one, I'm really old." <laughs> so I told a story. I just started telling stories, and I said, "Nice," and. I need glasses, mm. but I'm too bloody vain to wear them. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, and this was the first time I'd needed them on stage. I mm. hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't actually had me before. I can see you normally see okay, and I just need glasses for reading now. Yep. So I said, uh, so I'm going to go and get my glasses. And I'm in my guitar case, <laughs> you know. So I, I stopped and I said, you two entertain us. So I just turned around, went to my guitar case, put them on. Uh, people were laughing, get, yep. a, get a shit yep. hanging and all that, Chris. And uh, so, and. It was really funny. We finished the song and uh, so I just went, you know, one, two, three, four, go. And we went back <laughs> into it. End of the song, a guy, a guy uh, goes, hey, Steve. I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, 
you know, you never looked at those lyrics once once you put the glasses on. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. That's always <laughs> the way, isn't it? And of it, uh, it's always been my security blanket. But mm. when I played in America, I never used lyric sheets at all. Never missed a, a cue, which yep. is really quite strange because. Uh, um, and I never even thought about it, but it just wasn't that I never had them with yeah, me. So okay. I just borrowed a guitar and and I, while I was over there and played. Mm. So it wasn't, yeah. So it's it's a funny thing that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's a funny story. So so after all of these experiences, um, do you think there's one or two things that have been like the the biggest learning points or things that have stuck stuck with you? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, um, and I, look, I've always believed this about everything, but you follow your dreams and don't take criticism to heart. I mean, a number of people have said to me, why don't you get a singer in your band? It'd be really good. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, yeah. Imagine if you had a really good singer sing your songs. And I go, oh, yeah, thank you. And then... <laughs> uh, but, and then other people go to me, wow, I love the way that you project your songs, mm, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and I did a, few, uh, did a few gigs and you've played a couple of them with me where we did um, cover band stuff for people's birthdays and stuff like that yeah, and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, so you got to pay the bills somehow and uh, we and, and they went really well. As long as you finish one second before midnight so when the police come, uh, you've already stopped. Yeah, but... <laughs> We were allowed to play K-San and Born to Run after that. <laughs> that was the really funny part about that. The cops said, you sound really good. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, that, that was a funny night. But uh, but we still managed to, you know what, we managed to whip in half a dozen originals during the night and nobody even realised mm. it in amongst the classic rock songs. But... Um, <laughs> And you know, you know my theory about that. As much as I'd like to be playing my originals, as long as I can pick which, um, which uh, uh, covers we do. And I mentioned Kaysan, but we always may have the joke about you don't play Kaysan. But <laughs> we, if you remember that night at practice, we go, uh, we were having a joke, and somebody made the joke about we're never going to play Kaysan. And Beth goes uh, sitting there on the piano, I go, is that the song that goes like this? And she played. Uh, um, the piano uh, Don, part. Yeah, she played yeah, Don Walker's Don riff yeah. perfectly. Yeah. She goes, is that the song that goes like this? And we're going, oh, we can't not play that now. And, mm. and we did it and did it really well, I must say, I thought. But, yeah, look, don't... And everyone tells you what you should be doing. But just if you... I, I, I sort of feel if you follow your heart and, and, and just keep trying to move forward and, and every now and again you get waylaid we all get waylaid we get waylaid by family and health and um making money and and you know life life in general takes mm. over but the th good thing about music and this is different to sport that i've found mm. is there's no end point everyone yeah, thinks there is right. everyone yeah. thinks there is but you know i'm probably the perfect example that that's not true um you know my beard may be gray now and uh I, you know i'm a, I'm a little bit older but um, you providing your willing and, and really you should be doing it for your own enjoyment. If you're doing it because you want to win the voice or you know Australia's got talent, well, I've got my opinions on that, and you're entitled to do that. But I mean, I think that we're That's right. I've voiced my opinions on them many times. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. I think that this isn't about fame and fortune. This is about creativity and about. I mean, if I hadn't have done all this, I mean, I, I, I actually think of my grandkids, which I've got now, and that one day they might be able to sit down and read these songs and poems mm. and listen to the stuff that I've recorded and go, well, well Pop, you know, that wasn't too bad, or, yeah. or that was really crap. You know, yeah. I'm not sure what, what their opinion will be. Not as shit as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I see them sit down at my piano and pick up my guitars and... and want to strum them and uh, they're a little bit big for them at the moment but and it just gives me a huge buzz and I yeah. thought if I hadn't have gone into music at some point so that that thing and I didn't know what I was doing so I didn't know to be, I, I watched so many young people it doesn't matter whether it's sport or music or whatever just get knocked down and shut up and don't do it yeah. you know and then they close down and uh, I the opportunity to just keep trying to do those things is really mm. important yeah. 
I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I think. it does. Well, um, thanks so much, uh, Steve Roach, AFL footballer, for coming in today. Um, did you want to plug anything at the moment? I'll, I'll put all your usual music links um, in the episode description. Thank you. Uh, is there anything you wanted to? No, no. Well, I'm not doing. I'm not doing any gigs at the moment. I, uh, I have started playing again, and uh, um, you know, and I'm a perfect example of what I was talking about with family and. Uh, um, everything taking its place and health issues and all those things and you get over those but I'm uh, I hope to be gigging at the uh, start of the year uh, sorry the end of the year uh, again and uh, um, uh, strangely Chris you'd uh, I was asked to um, do a set at a Celtic festival later oh, in the year yeah so uh, um, I thought well Gee, well, there's uh, there's an interesting one. I never saw myself as a Celtic <laughs> Celtic musician, but uh, we we'll see what see what happens with that. But uh, so no, maybe nothing. we have to dig out our tartan, Steve. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So I have done a gig wearing my uh, kilt uh, once or twice, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not a good look when you're high up on the back of a truck or something <laughs> like that. Though that's the only thing. It's uh, yeah, but uh, no, nothing particular to, mm. to plug. But uh, um, really uh, look up my music and have a listen to it. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's out there. It's not always the easiest place to find, easy to find, but uh, it is out there. And uh, um, yeah, and uh, maybe put one or two of my the newer tracks there. Yes, yeah. and see we'll if people like what we've done with those. Yeah. Well, right, thanks again, Steve, and uh, everyone out there. Remember, there is magic in the mystery of not quite knowing what you're doing. Thanks, everyone. Q playback.